All right, and a holy hush falls upon the congregation. Here we are. Good to see some old faces, some new faces, and some regular faces. Here we are. Here we are. Why don't you open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're talking this morning about Jesus who heals all your diseases. Jesus who heals all of your diseases. Let's read in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. We'll go through verse 34 this morning. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. This is uh, Jesus is entering the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. That is, they told Jesus about Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. And he, Jesus, verse 31, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here we are this morning talking about the healing ministry of Christ. The fact that Christ heals our physical diseases. Now as we get started and we begin to talk about this, this text this morning, healing is a big issue in the church today. There are all sorts of different healing ministries. In fact, all you have to do is turn on the local uh, church channels, and there's a, there's a num number of them on, on local TV. They come from abroad. And you'll see all sorts of different teachers with an emphasis on physical healing. And let me just uh, say at the outset that if your theology and your understanding of church or of healing comes from networks like TBN, there's a real issue. I, I cannot tell you how many people have even come into this church who have seen what they perceive to be church and ministers uh, on TV, and they say, well, this, this must be the way that church is, is done. This, this seems right. Normally, you have a very charismatic individual up on a stage, and at times he's waving his hand at the crowd, and all sorts of people are falling over. And uh, sometimes, if, if you watch these guys, I mean, they get more and more theatrical with people as they bring them up on stage, they knock them over, they pick them up, they knock them over, they pick them up, they knock them over. Like, what is going on here? And listen, there are, there are people who go, oh, that, that's, that's really neat. Guys who are selling uh, special oils and, uh, 
uh, special water from perhaps Israel or, or someplace that, uh, that you can get it that is deemed special. A creek from which the Apostle Paul drank from. If you drink this, all your maladies will leave instantly. Buy this prayer cloth for $99.99 and pass it around and everyone you know will be healed. Listen, if those guys are your heroes, if those guys are the guys you go, those are the guys we need to be following, that's an alive church. I'll tell you what, the ministry of God is really going forward there. And coming to a different church while all that stuff isn't, isn't going on, you go, wow, this church is very dead. And it reminds me over and over again of, of people in the church of Corinth who were following these guys that Paul would mock as super apostles. And guys who seemed to have the real deal and be able to knock other guys down who were genuine in the faith and say, well, you know Paul, I mean, look at him. Look, look at the way he preaches. I mean, he's... He's no Kenneth Copeland. He's, he's no Creflo Dollar. It's a problem. It's no Benny Hinn. He's not Benny Hinn. And the, listen, these are the guys that many people in mass are following. And if those are the guys that you're following, if those are the guys you're saying, hey, they really teach and preach the word, these are the guys that I need to follow because I, I've seen them. I've seen them with thousands of people. Listen, here's what you do. You say, how do I decide on, 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 on what church to go to? How do I decide on, on what to believe about healing and all of these different things? Here's what you do. You open your Bible. You open your Bible. And you begin to read. And you begin to ask yourself, is what I'm seeing, according to Jesus and the apostles, what I believe? Or am I believing something else? You as a Christian, if you're a true believer, you as a Christian have been given the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you have been given a discernment, a spiritual radar, that when you open your Bible, you're actually able to read it and understand it and perceive it. And there is false teaching that is spreading all around the world. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in Africa right now, the health and wealth gospel of God wants you to be wealthy and God always, you know, you're always going to be healthy as a Christian if you just apply these certain truths is ripping through Africa and it's destroying people. It's ripped through America. It's ripped through our TV. It's ripped through South America. It's currently ripping through Africa. And there is a great need, listen, there is a great need for, for sound teaching. I even get concerned when I, when I hear about healing crusades or meetings that are simply set apart for healing. Now, let me uh, be very clear here this morning so that you know where we're going with this. We in this church 
not only believe that God has the ability to heal, but that he's still healing today. Can you say amen? amen. He's still physically healing people. Listen very carefully. We believe in the gifts of healing. We believe in the laying on of hands that you can, you can pray over someone and God can use a person as, or people within a congregation with the laying on of hands and we anoint people with, with oil. My wife loves to tell the story about when her mom first got saved, her mom would be taking oil all over the house and smearing it over the doorpost and in, in the kids' room saying, pleading the blood of Jesus over her kids. And we know that there's nothing intrinsically holy about the oil. But we believe in this symbolic understanding of what the oil represents, that it's a representation of the, of the Holy Spirit. We believe in that. We believe that people can get physically healed today and that the right and natural prayer, listen, if you get sick, the right and the natural prayer is, oh God, would you heal me? Or if you have a, a loved one that is sick or has some kind of disease or malady, it is right and it is holy and it is biblical to say, Lord, would you heal my baby? Lord, would you heal my loved one, my mother or my father? God, they're going through some kind of sickness. And God, I'm asking you that you would lay your hand upon them. And God, we're asking that you would come in with power and you would heal that person. That is right and that is good and that is natural and that should be our first response. Can you imagine a hard-hearted parent that just says, well, we don't just believe in healing. We're just not going to pray. I guess it's just for, you know, that's, that's it. That's not what we teach. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there is an issue. When there is simple healing crusades or healing services, and even though it's right to set aside time for the, for the prayer of the healing of the sick, and yes, we believe in what James says, that the elders must come and must pray over those who are sick with the prayer of faith. But just to always be emphasizing healing and just to have crusades set up simply for healing only seems to depreciate what we see in the scripture. And the first thing we see that it does not appreciate in its right place is sound teaching. Listen, we're going, we're going to see this in the weeks to come. But Jesus emphasized in his ministry the teaching and the preaching of God's word. And when all we're doing is just getting together to say all we're doing is having a healing crusade and there's just some kind of general preaching without true instruction, without true exposition, without true understanding of the word of God, there seems to be an issue there. Because it wasn't like Jesus just said, I'm going to set up healing crusades or just set up services for healing. And if you've been like me, you've been to these and sometimes you can get a little uneasy. Because it seems so simply focused on just one thing. And yet what we see in the scripture is Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching. 
and that part of his ministry and a major part of it that accompanied it was the healing of the sick, but they went together. And truly what we have witnessed in our day is oftentimes bizarre and odd. And that is not what God is wanting us to get into. All that is strange, all that is bizarre, all that makes one feel simply uncomfortable. But there's another reason I think that it's important not to simply just stress that we're going to have this only for this particular purpose. It comes from Luke chapter 5, verse 17. So why don't we flip over there before we start journeying through our text this morning. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, says this. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, says this. On one of those days he was teaching, that's Jesus. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem. Now notice this next line here. And the power of the Lord was with him, or some of your translations might say was present. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now what does that mean? Well, that means that there is the providential move of God, listen very carefully, where there are times when he is moving in power and people are being healed. Remember, we have noted that everything Jesus did was under the influence and under the power of the Holy Spirit. There are times when the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to heal people physically. And there are times when the power of the Lord is not present to heal. And so it's impossible to simply say, at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, everyone's going to get healed. And we're going to just pray for everyone and everyone's going to get healed. Why? Because what if the power of the Lord is not present to heal? You get where we're going with this. And so there can become a manipulation or a conjuring up of, we've got to make this thing happen and if we're not careful, we don't mean to, we don't believe this, but we become like the prophets of Baal who wear themselves out circling and circling and circling their sacrifice, and there's no fire. Listen, we serve a God who is omnipotent, which means he has all power. And because he has life in himself, listen, he could come in this room right now and start healing people. He doesn't need a special set of songs. He doesn't need a particular person, although he does give the gifts of healing, but he's no respecter of persons. I'll never forget a professor saying that he'd been praying over his child, over his wife, and his, his child jumped up on the bed and laid 
their, I don't remember if it was a boy or girl, but a little two or three year old laid their little chubby hands on mom's face and prayed over her and she got healed right away. Why? Because it's not just about, oh, this person or that person or this time or that time. This, this, is why we, this is why we would struggle with just having revival services. Perhaps you've heard of that. Well, we're going to have revival meetings this week. And Monday at 7, Tuesday at 7, Wednesday at 7, Thursday at 7. We're going to have a big revival here. And again, there are well-intentioned people, well-meaning people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who hold these kind of meetings and the gospel's going forward, and in that we rejoice. But listen, you cannot make the Lord show up to just do anything you want. And yes, we recognize that he's here, but I, we've seen it in our own church. There are times in our church where there's just this wonderful sense of exuberation and joy. And then other times in our church service, there's been uh, greater times of sobriety and quietness before the Lord as we stand before him in a holy hush and just wait on him in his presence. Sometimes there's loud singing and sometimes there's a time for soft singing. Sometimes there's a time for healing and there's a time to pray over the sick and anoint them with oil. And other times it's time to teach and to preach on other things. And so when we come into this, this, this understanding of what healing is about in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what we need to do is let what the text says, what the Bible says, actually inform the way that we think and the way that we believe. Now, you don't need to raise your hands, but perhaps you've been in a service where it feels very much like all we're trying to do is work this thing up. And, per, and perhaps there have even been people here where there's, uh, there's clapping and they're, they're screaming and there's all kinds of different things. And people walk out of the church service and they say, boy, that was dead. That was dead. I'll never forget, I'll never forget listening to a guy who's saying, you know, in our church, we do all this stuff. We dance, we sing, we yell, we praise. And believe me, we love all that. We need more of that in this church. Amen? Boy, that was weak. Yeah, amen, I guess. Fine, we'll sing. I guess. Someone makes us, we will. We need more of that, amen? amen. Okay. But listen, you can have all that and be dead as a doornail. You believe that? You can have all that and be dead. And if you have spiritual radar, if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can go out and there can be people running around in circles, uh, pastors going bonkers, songs being sung, everything's being done. It's just wonderful. And yet there's no change. There's no conviction. There's no true joy in the Holy Spirit. It's just part of the tradition. And so you can be in a church where everyone stands like this and sings like this and doesn't believe in any of the gifts of the Spirit and be completely dead. And you can also be in the church where everyone believes in all the gifts of the Spirit and everyone's going crazy and it be dead. You know, Revelation says, John says to a church, he says, I, Jesus talking through John, says, I know you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead, but you're dead. And so it's very possible to 
do all these things, schedule healing meetings, schedule revival services, do all of these things, and yet be missing out on the leading and the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to be delusional. Oh, friend, we don't want to be delusional. We don't want to be praying over people and then being like, well, uh, you know, they were completely purple, but I think they're not quite as purple after we prayed for them. Listen, either they're healed or they're not. I, I never forget being in a, in a church down in Texas. There were prophetic words given that this particular person who was dying of cancer was going to be healed. People were having dreams in the congregation. I have a dream that so-and-so, it's a prophetic word, this person is going to be, is going to be healed. Other people, the pastor, other people come and say, this person's going to be physically healed. And we spent time praying over this person, laying hands on them, praying at the altar, anointing them with oil, as we rightly should. And then they died. And you know what everyone said? Well, at least they're with the Lord. They're, they're finally healed now. But that's not what you said a week ago. And that's right, the Lord does give us an ultimate healing. We're going to see that here in a second. That's exactly right. But that doesn't mix with what we were saying a week ago. It's one thing if we're saying, hey, they're going to be with Jesus ultimately healed. And we hope that they get physically healed. That's one thing. But to say they are, I know they are, we, you know, all this stuff, and then that not happen. We're not in, we're not in a delusional world here. May God protect us from that. We're people of the light. We're people of the truth. And uh, there are people you'll talk to who are Christians, and you'll be like, what planet are you from? And that's not the Jesus we're going to meet someday in heaven. So there's a, there's a, there's a, problem. There's a problem with that. But I want you to notice the the pattern here, the pattern of healing in our text. So why don't we go to Mark chapter 1. Now Jesus has been teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue. We, we've noted that the, the synagogue is a meeting place. It's a place of teaching. It's a place of instruction. It's a place of prayer. So he's been there and, and he, has, he has cast out uh, we saw demons, and, and this guy had, you know, gone nuts in the, in the middle of the, of the teaching. He recognized who Jesus was. So Jesus, Jesus is worn out. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been ministering. He's been casting out demons. And you have... Uh, uh, you have the Sabbath from uh, sundown on Friday night to sundown on, on Saturday. So this is, this, is again the, this is again the Sabbath that he's, he's teaching. He leaves the synagogue there in verse 29. And he entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Now, even though John uh, tells us that they were originally from Bethsaida, evidently they had moved we noted that Jesus' headquarters were in Capernaum, uh, where they're at now, up by the Lake of Galilee, and they have a, a house together. We're not exactly sure how this works. You know, did they own it? Was it rented? Did, you know, who lived there? We're not 100% sure. 
But this is their house, it tells us, their brothers, uh, with James and John. Now, it's very likely that James and John's mother was also Jesus' aunt, Salome. Again, we're not 100% sure, but that would mean that James and John are, are cousins. And so you can see, you know, he picks Andrew and Peter. These guys are brothers. And then if, if uh, tradition has it right, and we get this from uh, uh, John's uh, mother and James's mother standing at the foot of the cross with, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, if that's right, this is a family thing. He has cousins who are, are part of the ministry with him. But it says here that they entered their house. So after Jesus leaves the synagogue, he's been teaching and he's been preaching. He's been casting out demons. Instead of simply going home and saying, well, that's it, guys, until the, the next Sabbath or whatever. There's a sense here of camaraderie. There's a, there's a sense here of genuine fellowship and genuine friendship because they go from the synagogue and they go to Andrew and Peter's house to have lunch together. One of the things that has been on my heart for some time is that we understand that the church, listen carefully, the church is not just a church service. That's not what the church is. Oftentimes when we hear about church growth, what we hear people talking about is growing a Sunday morning service. So if you want to have a, a good church, what you do is you try to make sure there's a lot of people coming in on Sunday morning. And I will tell you that that understanding of what the church is, what the body of Christ is, is completely foreign to the text of Scripture. In the text of Scripture, what you have is you have people who are united together in their love for Jesus Christ. They love him. And yes, they love to meet together uh, before uh, Christ ascended and a little bit after in the temple and in synagogues, but then in house churches. They had a real affinity for each other. In other words, when people got saved, they recognized that they were moving out of a community of darkness. They were moving out of the wrong community of wrong friends and wrong habits. And they were now not just joining a Sunday morning service at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but their life had so radically changed, their life had been so radically altered, now, that now they come into a community and a fellowship with people who are now their friends, and they do life together. And so they meet with each other throughout the week. They're friends. They pray with each other. As we see in our text here, they have meals together. They go into each other's homes. They are constantly breaking bread and are true, genuine friends. I want to ask you something this morning. If you have been taught that what the church is is coming in Sunday morning and leaving, you haven't understand or understood rather the scripture. If you have been taught that 
joining the church is simply putting in your time, even well-intentioned, and, and even coming in with the right motives, just coming in on Sunday and then leaving, and then that's it. There's something deficient in the way that you're thinking about what church is, because that is not just church. It's a small but vital part of being the church. The truth is, people who come in, who say, all I want to do is come in Sunday morning and leave, or come in Wednesday night and just leave. That's their thinking. Oftentimes, there's sin in their life. They don't want to get too close to people. So they come in, they say, well, I don't want to, I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to get close. I, we have seen it over and over again, but when I begin to see someone drift in the church, see someone begin to isolate themselves, see someone begin to say, well, I'm going to just kind of do this thing on my own, very often there's something going on in their life. And so they are purposely distancing themselves because either they're too convicted or they haven't bought into the fact that the church is a community. And if anything we see in the life of Jesus, and we see it here very clearly in our verse, it's people who walk together, who talk together, who know each other, who love each other. And I, I just want to ask you this morning, is that how you see church? Or are you tending to isolate yourself? Are you tending to distance yourself? Are you tending to say, well, I'll put in my time on Sunday morning, but I don't want to get too involved I don't want to really have meals on a regular basis. I don't want to really live life with people. That's the question. So Jesus here is clearly leaving the synagogue. He's entering the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever which means that uh, Simon was married. Now, we won't spend uh, too much time on this, but the leaders within the church from the very beginning of time have been men who can marry. And that is, that is fine. In fact, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see another snapshot into Peter's life, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 5 says this. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. So he was married, as our text says, and his mother-in-law was laying ill there with a fever. By the way, this is a burning up fever. I don't know if you've ever been sick with a fever, but it's a horrible thing. And she is laying there, and it's, it's interesting, in the Talmud, which is rabbinic teaching, they have all of these kind of magical ways of how to heal a person who has a fever, which was, which was viewed as a disease or as some kind of illness then. And immediately they told him, verse 30, about her. So there she is. This is Peter's mother-in-law laying in the house. 
And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So he goes in. Listen, there's, there's no music playing. There's no theatrics. There's no magic potions. Nothing. He goes in, someone says, hey, Jesus, listen, I don't know if you heard this, but Peter, maybe it was Peter himself, and remember, he's behind this gospel, so it's very likely, I mean, this, this is important to him. He says, mom, mom, is, mom is sick. Jesus goes in, and he takes her by the hand, and immediately the fever left her. Immediately. Now, this wasn't something where she's like, starting to get a little bit better. I think I can get up now. Thank you for the Advil. Because, you know, sometimes it's, it's, easy, to, it's easy to pray, and it's like, I think, I think I'm doing better. This wasn't like that. This was, fever's there. Great! I'm doing great. That's awesome. That's, that's, the, that's the kind of healing Jesus does. He actually heals people. So when he comes in, he is Jesus, our healer. He takes her by the hand and instantly, standing there, he takes her by the hand and instantly she is cured. That's awesome. And that's the kind of healing that the text of, of the Bible, the text of Scripture, talks about again and again and again. Healing that is genuine. Healing that is true. And you get this great sense of, as we've been talking about, it's a family and friends thing. She gets up, and what is her immediate response to what Jesus did for her? Her immediate response is, dinner's back on. That's exactly what's going on in the text. She gets up. And she doesn't say, well, thank you very much. I think I'm going to go out for a while now. I need, I need some time alone. Listen, th this, is, this is service. Think about this. Jesus has been going all day. Now he comes in. She's sick. He goes in and heals her. And we see mutual service on her part, which she gets up and she says, and you can sense it, it's with joy. I want to serve Jesus my son-in-law, and my friends in the faith. That's, that's what's going on. What a motivation. Is that, is that our heart where we say, Jesus, you have done so much for us. Lord, no matter what is going on in my life, God, I, I want to give back. Not because I can pay you back. Not that I'm trying to pay you back like I can't ever earn anything. But Lord, I love you so much that I want to do anything and everything I can because serving you and living for you is the best thing on this earth. There is nothing better than knowing and serving Jesus in great joy. Amen? There's nothing better. And it's amazing how oftentimes we guard our time. Well, we can't do that because, you know, and I can't go over here. And listen, Jesus is saying, serve. But don't serve out of a grudging spirit, a heart that says, I really hate this, I really don't want to. Listen, there are times we come in on Sunday morning and say, Lord, get my attitude straight. 
Lord, help me this morning to focus on you. Lord, I want to give back. You've given so much for me. Lord, I want the gospel to be spread. I want friends in the church. I want to know people. I want to have relationships with people. Lord, this is not about just Sabbath in the old school or Sunday morning now. That's not what it's about. Lord, I've been saved unto a community. I've been saved into a fellowship. Lord, burn that within me. And I just feel led to say this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it is very possible that you're in this room and you're saying, well, I think I'm going I'm to use my time this way and maybe it's a relationship. And listen, the enemy is using a relationship in your life to steal your time and to steal your joy. And he comes, listen, he comes as an angel of light. And oftentimes it's seemingly innocent, it's seemingly okay. And he's robbing, he's robbing, he's robbing. Is he robbing you this morning? So she begins to serve them, then verse 32. That evening at sundown, now why does it say at sundown? Well, because this is, this is when the Sabbath is ending. Remember, the Sabbath would have started on Friday night at sundown, and now the Sabbath is ending. You think the day for Jesus was long? It just got longer. So think, he's been going all day. Morning, he's teaching, casting out demons. Then he comes into Andrew and Peter's house. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law, going all afternoon, talking, fellowshipping. Well, maybe, maybe a little bit later we'll just get some rest. No, that's not the case with Christ. He's still going. And by the way, we see a, a great difference between the healing of the sick, which is different than the casting out of demons. But he's still going as, as the uh, sun sets. Now people feel free. They say, well, the Sabbath is over. We can get out and about more now. And this is, this is why they chose this time to come to Jesus because the Sabbath had ended, verse 32. And they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now, notice this, verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. That's a lot of people. What would you see if you're with Jesus? He's not here. You know, he, he left. <laughs> Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. Open the windows. The whole city's out here. The whole city. Why? Because word spread quick. This was authentic. This was real. Demons are being cast out. Word's getting out. You hear about Peter and uh, Peter's mother-in-law? She gets just instantly healed, and then she's up there serving? That's unreal. And so people begin to say, I wonder if he'll do the same thing for me. The right reaction. Oh, Jesus, would you heal me? So the whole city is coming and banging at the door for the right reasons, opposite like Sodom and Gomorrah, where they're banging on the door for the wrong reasons. Banging on the door. 
The Bible says Jesus in his compassion, again, all Sabbath is going. Now he's into the next day. He's still going. Still going. And he healed many who were sick. By the way, Luke tells us very clearly that this is all. It's just that some who came to him were sick and some had demons. So all the sick got healed and all those who had demons, they were cast out. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Oh, awesome. Little kids coming up, Jesus, will you heal me? Yep. Boom, healed. My aunt's not feeling well. She's sick. Healed. Boom, healed. Person with demons. Boom, cast out instantly. The authority of Christ. The scripture says the demons here knew who he was. But he wouldn't permit them to speak. Why? Because he didn't need their testimony. It's interesting, Mark shows, Mark shows that the demons knew who he was, so he's shown that even the demons came under the authority of Christ. But in our text, he's shown he doesn't need that kind of testimony. You don't need the testimony of demons who are liars, who are maniacal, who are evil. It's interesting, if you've ever seen a, a show where someone's sitting on the stand for some charge of criminality, and then as a testimony, they bring in some other guy from jail. It's like the testimony value kind of goes way down. It's like, well, you know, why is he testifying? I, I hope we can believe him. Well, if the jailhouse snitch's testimony is way down, how about a demon's testimony? It's like way down there. And so Jesus is healing all. He is casting out demons. Now I want to close with this. Why? What's the purpose to all of this? Jesus is giving us a taste of the kingdom. He's given us a taste of the kingdom. In Adam, the scripture says, listen carefully, in Adam, as we said earlier, Adam and Eve are the parents of us all, everyone in this room. You believe that? Say amen. 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 And when Adam fell, the entire race was plunged into sin. And within this sin, this sin that has spread to all of us, we're all born in what's called original sin, that means we're born with a, a sin nature, Along with sin comes disease and corruption and sickness because of the fall. So all of us someday are going to die unless Jesus returns. At some point, every person sitting in this room is going to be in a box and we or some people will be walking by looking at them going, yep, there, there they were. And there they are. Jesus comes, and he's the only person who can reverse that. 
want you to think about this. You're, you're going to get sick and die at some point. Even if it's just of old age, we're all dying right now. We're all, we're all dying. And there's only one remedy, listen, in the entire universe for sickness and death. If you don't have Jesus, there's no hope. None. Let me ask you this. You don't have Jesus? What's your plan for the future? And isn't it amazing how many people are living for the here and now, and yet you're going to be gone tomorrow, meaning whenever, because we are like grass that fades and the flower that falls. And Jesus comes in and he says, look, I've got authority over demons, and I can reverse death and sickness. And what he's showing is he's giving people taste of the kingdom of what it's like, where someday, listen, someday, when we die and we're with Christ, we'll be instantly healed of all pain, of all sickness, of all disease. And at the point when Christ comes, our bodies are going to be gloriously resurrected. Gloriously resurrected. Our soul will be united with our body, and we will live without sickness and without disease, and we will forever be with Jesus. Amen? He, he, he's, he's, he's our only hope. And so he is showing us here, he's giving us taste, and he still does it today. He says, I'm going to give you a taste of what it's like to live then. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what it's like to reverse sickness and disease. And he instantly heals people over and over again in the scriptures possible because of the cross. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. This is a, this is a parallel text, meaning this was about the same account that we're reading about in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. So he's healing all who were sick, with a word there in verse 16, the end of it, uh, Matthew 8, verse, verse uh, 16, with a word and healed all who were sick, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Look, he took all our illnesses and bore our diseases. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, he has purchased the healing for all who will believe. And some of us, get to experience a foretaste of that right now of what the future kingdom is going to be like because we are already living in the kingdom. Remember the already and the not yet. But we're all going to die. And we all need healing. And I end with this. This was, um, I'm reading through this big book called um, Mortality by Christopher Hitchens who was an atheist. And as he's writing toward the end of his life, he writes this, nose hair is gone, runny nostrils, constipation, and diarrhea alternating. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Then he talks about this alien tumor that's going to kill him. And it did. And he died as far as we know. He died without Jesus. 
But you don't have to be like that, even when your nose hairs fall out. You get runny noses. And all the sickness and disease that comes before death. Because Jesus is our healer. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgot, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, that's your sins. Who heals all your diseases. He's our healer. And I, I want to pray, there might be some this morning, you're sick, we're not going to have an altar call this morning. But why don't you stand with me as we end this and... Every head bowed and every eye closed. You've come in here and you either are sick or uh, you know someone who is sick. Would you raise your hand? You just say, I need prayer over for healing.